So before I introduce Francis, we are hosting this weekly call because we know that your companies and organizations are under severe pressure. And while our government has responded rapidly with programs being expanded incrementally to address gaps, there's a lot of information to process. And many entrepreneurs have expressed uncertainty around their eligibility for emergency relief programs. With this in mind, we're privileged to have Francis McRae, Assistant Deputy Minister of Small Business and Marketplace Services at Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada with us today. Francis has meaningful insight into many of these programs and their recent developments. Her sector fosters business and consumer confidence in the marketplace and small business competitiveness by championing and administering responsive legislation, policies, programs, and services. The sector collaborates with and has oversight responsibilities for the Business Development Bank of Canada and administers important marketplace frameworks and regulation. Since the crisis emerged, Francis has hosted daily calls at 11 o'clock every day on top of all the other responsibilities she's managing and demonstrated exceptional leadership. And so we, we really are fortunate to have people like Francis helping to get information related to the emergency relief out in a very efficient manner. And she is always keen to listen and to take that feedback back to government. So Francis, many thanks for joining us. Uh, I know that you've put in long hours of working from home, including all the work that you're doing with these calls. So we really do appreciate you being here. If it's all right, I was hoping perhaps you could walk us through some of the key programs available to entrepreneurs, and then maybe we can uh, have a bit of a dialogue after that. Sure. So thanks very much, uh, Claudio, uh, Michael, Laura. Um, great to be on the call uh, with you today. I know that um, these are really important forums. I've participated in a lot of different webinars uh, in the last while, in addition to the calls that uh, that were mentioned. I think the thing that kind of has struck me, uh, you know, it's an interesting time for me to be in the role of Assistant Deputy Minister of Small Business. Um, you know, there, there, there is no department uh, in the government that doesn't deal with small business in some shape or uh, in some way. Uh, and, you know, in fact, as we all know, and you know, the statistics, I'm sure better than I do, um, you know, really, you know, 98% of our economy is small business. And in some sectors, it's actually, you know, higher than that. Um, and so, you know, the, the challenge we have had, I think it certainly I have had is making sure I'm well connected with my colleagues across government who are designing and implementing and running these programs. And that I think is kind of the key thing for us, uh, being able to provide a, a perspective from small businesses directly on what they're experiencing uh, on the ground and then how the various measures, which you know, as Claudia was mentioning earlier, that the measures are being rolled out. And I think you've heard the government say very quickly, um, the idea is not to have them uh, perfect as they're launched, but to try to get money out there as quickly as possible and then adjust. And I think that's what you've seen the government do um, over the last number of weeks is not be afraid of adjusting and saying uh, that, you know, they need to, they need to, to, to tweak, uh, you know, add more programs um, expand eligibility, uh, you know, um, you know, change certain of the of the program parameters, uh, and even on the legislative side, you've seen them not be afraid to take some of those things back into uh, legislative uh, uh, proposals. So I think, you know, from my perspective, there's a couple of things. One is, uh, I think, for me, our really important messages, you know, 
we are listening. The government is listening. I can tell you, and I say this to the people on who join my call every day, um, you know, there is no monopoly on good ideas. Uh, um, if I didn't think that the input is make was making a difference, uh, you know, I would say so. And I actually think, and I know, um, from talking to my colleagues across government, from speaking to, you know, ministers in their offices, that it is making a difference what people have to say. And I think you have seen that, as I said, in, in where the government has been going. Um, you know, the reality is all of these various programs that are being announced, I mean, some of the challenges we have are uh, the fact that, um, uh, you know, the interaction among them, uh, the complementary nature of them is not always totally fine-tuned when they're when they're put out the door. Um, and so we're kind of, you know, reacting to that. And then, you know, you have a sequencing issue. So as an example, um, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, which at first was designed uh, in such a way uh, that, you know, if you made any kind of income, uh, you would not be able to apply uh, and get the benefit. And then, of course, that turned out to be uh, a perverse incentive so that people were, you know, turning down work. Uh, we, you know, we were seeing the impact in some of the key sectors that needed to keep operating uh, as essential services. So, you know, that adjustment then happened to allow for $1,000. Uh, and then the other issue is... Uh, uh, the question of, um, uh, you know, how then that interacts with the wage subsidy program, uh, that's a 75% wage subsidy for remuneration. So, um, uh, so that's kind of the, the, the reality that, uh, that we're dealing with is, is these things are kind of always being adjusted as we're going along. Um, I, I won't get into the detail on the program. I know that, you know, you probably all know the programs very well. There are a lot of, uh, you know, program finders on our innovation.canada.ca uh, website. There's, you know, we've repurposed that innovation website, which I'm sure you may be familiar with, to be able to, you know, find the right kinds of tools and resources uh, around um, around the programs that may or may not be suited. But those are connected as well to the federal government program but not just federal to provincial uh, as well. So um, I think, you know, the particular concerns that you have around startups, uh, around the, the venture capital ecosystem, uh, we can, you know, get into some of that on some of the questions. Um, uh, you know that, that this is something that we've pay, been paying a lot of attention to, the BDC, which I, I can't speak for, but I do know um, that they are very, very attentive to what's going on in the VC ecosystem, and you've seen some movement there, and they'll continue to look at what's going on there. I just maybe close with this, is that, you know, the proposals that are being made by various numbers of, of, of stakeholders, by business groups, by provinces, by, by uh, 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 businesses themselves, um, all of those, by academics, um, all of those are really important to hear I think the challenge the government is going to have is, you know, continually responding in an evolving environment. Um, and, and so there's so many factors that are shifting at the same time that any given proposal or idea has to be looked at in the light of, you know, 
the uncertainty of the future uh, that that we're all uh, kind of living with. So I would just say that, you know, there is no shortage of good ideas. We get them every day. I, I get a lot of them. I know many, many, many people all across government do. Ministers get them. And that's really important. We need all those ideas. I think that the challenge we will have collectively is how do we, uh, you know, you know, action some of the you know the best ideas based on what kind of environment we're going to be facing um, as it evolves and i think that is probably our our, our central challenge uh at the moment um i think maybe i'll just leave it at that claudio if that's okay uh, and we can come back on some questions i did say to claudio i i just found out this morning well late last night but mostly this morning um, that I need to support Minister Ng at an, a parliamentary appearance she has uh, before three o'clock. So um, I am going to have to leave a little bit early. Um, but as I said, we're happy to take any questions uh, back if I don't have time to answer them, depending on uh, how the conversation goes. Great. So, Francis, maybe we could drill down on on the areas that are most relevant to um, to the tech sector. So, uh, you know, one of the one of the key areas of concern was uh, the requirement for a 30 percent drop in revenue in order to be eligible for, let's say, the Canada emergency wage subsidy. Uh, can you speak to some of those programs and, and how the government is evolving its thinking around the revenue drop requirement? Yeah. So thanks for that. I you know, I would just say on the this when um, you know it's it's a it's very difficult when you're moving these programs through and you you'll all be familiar with the way government programs are designed. Normally, we spend quite a lot of time on program design because you really want to target um, your programs to the right need. The challenge of doing it in in this environment is one, it's fluid. Two, there's just such a diversity of need, uh, and and so no sectors are the same. In fact, no one business is the same, probably. Um, and in, in addition to that, there are other evolving kind of programs like the provincial programs and others uh, that are that are unfolding. And then just the, the you know the time crunch, right? People are developing this literally, kind of in some cases overnight. Um, and so, so the question of the of the threshold. I mean, you, you'll remember when the wage subsidy was first announced. First, it was a temporary wage subsidy of ten percent. Uh, that got shifted quite quickly within a week to a 75% wage subsidy with, uh, you know, a very specific type of benchmark in terms of, uh, you know, the, the revenue loss timeframe. Uh, that got changed again, um, uh, you know, probably about a week later. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we know as of last week when the prime minister um, extended the program um, into August 29th, um, the Department of Finance at the same time said that they knew, and I think it's very, you know, it's public knowledge, that the anticipated demand for that program was higher than it has been. And therefore, you know, there is a real need to kind of go out and, and figure out what some of the barriers might be. One of them definitely is around, you know, people are being heard on the threshold issue, uh, the newness of organizations, so the time frame over which people have to uh, demonstrate, uh, you know, uh, loss, uh, and then just the benchmarks that are not necessarily be, you know, the, the type of timeframes that work for all industries, take seasonal in industries or others, or, or like I said, new industries. So there, you know, there is a definite uh, ear out that, that the Department of Finance has that's not being led by my department, but I do know um, that uh, this is a big part of what they're going to be doing is they, they need to understand what some of the key barriers are. They've addressed some of them. 
Um, in the announcement last week, they uh, widened the eligibility to make it more permissive. Um, uh, and I would suspect that uh, you're going to see, uh, you know, a lot of discussion in a very short period of time to to look at uh, what other barriers there are. And I know certainly the 30% threshold is is one of them. Two programs uh, come to mind uh, that, that seem to have a point of intersection. So one is the uh, Canada Emergency Business Account. And then uh, there was a recognition, it seems, of certain gaps as it pertained to um, angel-backed or, or we'll say high-growth companies. And then the um, regional relief and uh, recovery uh, funding was made available and now there seems to be a bit of an intersection between the two. So can you provide some clarity? One, in the sense that, um, you know, what do what do startups and entrepreneurs need to qualify for the SEBA funding? And then if they're not, um, if they don't meet those requirements, how can the regional development agencies provide relief? Okay, so thanks for that question. So on the SEBA, this is another one where um, we're now on version 3.0 of SEBA. And so the government first announced it uh, had a certain payroll threshold that uh, companies needed to meet. They uh, changed that payroll threshold uh, after some initial uh, reactions. And then they now, as of uh, Tuesday this week, have announced uh, further opening up of that program to address um, uh, some of the barriers around payroll uh, in particular, uh, because a lot of companies are not structured with payroll per se. They have uh, labor costs, but those are not primarily related to payroll. And I know a lot of startups are in that category, whether it's payments through dividends or, or, um, or you know, contracts, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, gig labor as an example. So, you know, but there are many industries like that. It's not just, uh, it's not just, uh, you know, many, many types of companies, even very, you know, mature companies who have different types of labor models for very good reasons. So we're on CV 3.0. Um, there was an announcement on Tuesday about sort of the general um, kind of parameters of that. And we'll see more detail coming from uh, the Department of Finance over the next little while. Um, I think that the issue here is, uh, you know, staying true to the purpose of the SEBA program, which is to support companies in uh, in dealing with non-deferrable uh, business costs. Uh, and so it's not an income support program. The income support program is, is the SERB program primarily, uh, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Uh, which is intended for you know self-employed uh, and and uh, employed uh, people um, who uh, who need income support. So that's immediate income support. And then the so the SEBA itself is is going to you know continue to be about non-deferrable business costs. Um, and so the idea is that uh, companies would be able to demonstrate. Uh, their non-deferrable business costs in 2020. So it doesn't have to be costs incurred, but it does have to be, you know, real costs that they will be facing that they are not able to defer. So as an example, if you take rent, well, you know, we would probably want people to see if their landlords will try to apply for the uh, rent, commercial rent assistance uh, before they would be, uh, you know, applying to, to, to SEBA um, if that was their major non-deferrable cost, as an example. Um, but, you know, rent is included in the non-deferrable costs uh, that are eligible for SEBA, and, and we'll have more detail around what those non-deferrable costs 
um, are kind of, you know, entailed. The idea is that um, people could, you know, you know, show what costs they have and put that forward. Um, and, um, and then, you know, have some points in the information points in the tax system um, that then kind of, you know, they can, that, that, that banks can help validate against. I mean, I think the other thing we want to be careful about on these things is the wider they get opened, whether it's, uh, you know, a program for, you know, individuals or for businesses, the wider it opens, uh, the more, you know, risk there is of uh, challenges around, you know, accounting for public funds that, that we all will have to worry about um, as time goes on. So, um, so the, the SEBA enhancement is designed now to um, help, help those companies that have, um, you know, that, that don't have payroll meeting 20,000, um, but that do have non-deferrable costs uh, um, that, uh, that they need some help with. So that's where SEBA 3.0 comes in. Um, on the question of the regional fund, so the regional fund was, uh, when it was announced, it was, um, it was designed to help those who are not eligible for SEBA. At the time, I would tell you that, um, you know, it was not clear that we were going to have a SEBA 3.0. Um, and so now we have a situation where, you know, we have a CBA 3.0 uh, businesses, you know, sh who are eligible for that should be applying for that, which will then likely reduce the draw uh, on uh, or the demand rather for the uh, regional uh, relief and, re and, and recovery fund. Um, so, you know, we're constantly this is one of those things that I was telling you about as one program opens. Uh, and another isn't yet available, you know, there is a challenge that businesses have of what to apply for. Um, my advice always is whatever you're eligible for, you can apply for. Um, you know, there's, there's no, you know, we're, we're in a shifting environment right now. So if you say someone applied for the regional fund and then found that they were eligible for SEBA, well, they would just have to get in touch with their regional development agency um, and, and, you know, pull back the application. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, I know people get worried about, you know, being accused of double dipping. I think we're all aware in this environment, there's just so much moving at the same time. Um, it's pretty difficult for people uh, to kind of, you know, wait and hope that something else opens when, in fact, there is a program uh, for which they could apply and get some support. So um, I would just, last thing I would say on the regional, uh, on the RRF, which is important, and people have pointed this out to us that, you know, not not all the regional development agencies are managing that program exactly the same way. And the terms and conditions and eligibility requirements are different. And that is true. And a big part of that is that, as usual, the RDAs are fill a complementary role in their ecosystem. And where there are other programs, so certain provinces, for example, have different programs that they've been announcing you know, the, the RDA has to take that into consideration when they look at complementarity. Um, so, you know, I think it, it isn't a one, one size fits all uh, in terms of what's available across the country. Um, and that's where the particularities of the RDAs come in. Um, and, and, you know, there's cohesion in the sense that it's generally, the, you know, similar types of support. But there may be differences in terms of eligibility because of, you know, the assessment of what's in the environment and what the need is. Is there, and I'm cognizant of your time, um, is there 
what I've heard from from entrepreneurs is, is some of them have a familiarity with the regional development agencies. Others, it's it's a new concept. Um, so, you know, because we have people um, calling in from from all across Canada, is there a common thread between the regional development agencies? Um, and then is there variation in the different regions that that might help situate people around how to think about when to reach out to the regional development agency? Well, I mean, you know, the regional development agencies are very close to the ground and they do operate a little bit differently. Um, you know, they they you, you'll be familiar with the fact that they used to be all under separate ministers. They were all created at different times to fill various needs. Um, and so that's kind of the way they're they continue to operate is that, you know, uh, you know, they all have regional development strategies that, again, are based on what the need is in their region um, and not on kind of a national vision of what a RDA should or shouldn't be. And that's kind of by design. Um, they are now, of course, all um, under Minister Jolie as the regional development minister. And she's, you know, well aware of the different situations that we, we are in across the country. ACOA is structured completely differently um, and has a different, has, has historically had a very different role, say, than, you know, Western economic diversification, which, which you know, came along later uh, and has, uh, has a different history. Um, in terms of, uh, of of Western provinces, and 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 of course that ebbs and flows with the way that the economy uh, in various regions uh, has tended to uh, to to change. Um, uh, you know, I like I, I talk to my RDA colleagues all the time. Uh, they are constantly trying to adjust to see what's needed. Um, they are they know their ecosystems very very well. They are, they have very strong partnerships on the ground. Uh, you know, you tend to have a lot of longevity in the in the senior levels and in the staff levels at the RDAs. Uh, I would just not hesitate to reach out to them for conversations. Great. And on the on the rental relief issue, um, my understanding is that there are some jurisdictional issues that the federal government is having to manage. Um, it, but this is an area of of high priority uh, that they're trying to resolve. Can you provide yes. some background there? Yeah. So, um, you know, just on the on the rent relief, uh, you know, this this is a this is a it's very much a discussion with the provinces and territories. Um, you know that that you know the reality is that the federal government has very few levers, uh, in fact, practically none, around uh, commercial uh, leasing uh, um, in, uh, in in this country. Um, and so I think, um, you know, we're working with the provinces and territories to to implement this agreement that we have on on the um, rent, the commercial rent assistance program. And some provinces are, you know, taking certain action in terms of legislation and, and in terms of, you know, even just some of the some of the um, uh, language that the premiers are using around, you know, desire that landlords look at this program and others are, are not being quite as um, quite as loud on it. I mean, one of the things I keep saying to people is you have to remember uh, not all landlords all cr are created equal. You have everything from a small landlord who's relying on rent to, uh, to be an important part of their pension income to, you know, very large players uh, who, you know, may have, um, 
you know, a, a little bit more flexibility, but even then, you know, bills have to be paid. So again, even in the, in the landlord side of things, um, there are, there's so much diversity that designing to, uh, what is needed, um, and what will be palatable, uh, I think is, is a real challenge. Um, we are working very, very hard on rolling it out. Uh, I'm very happy to say that, you know, our, you know, CMHC is evolving this program as they're designing it. You know, originally uh, there was going to be a separate solution for non-mortgage properties. Well, now the answer to that is all properties, mortgaged and non-mortgage, will have access to the same solution. So, you know, I think those are uh, those are things that um, that we're working on uh, and, and and pretty hard to be able to roll out. And as I understand. Uh, I believe CMHC has made it, it clear that their uh, their rollout date is May 25th, so that's uh, Monday. What staggered by uh, by uh, kind of application uh, kind of tranches, uh, but there is a lot of detail on the CMHC website now, which uh, which we hope will will um, lead to more take up, um, and we'll have to see. I I, ver- I feel very comfortable that the government will continue to listen to feedback it has been listening to feedback i i see no sign of that letting up great thank you so much francis uh, we really do appreciate your time and being here i know you have uh, a number of uh, important priorities that you're balancing so thank you for for taking the time to join us we do appreciate your insights we have some questions that came in so if it's all right uh, we will send them through to your office and absolutely uh, great yeah, no, happy to answer them. And, you know, and I, I answer a lot of emails every day myself. Uh, everybody that writes does get an answer. So, uh, and it's usually for me. So, um, uh, you know, I do encourage you to keep asking, keep sending the feedback. Uh, it's all very important. And I do want to just, you know, maintain that open door, uh, you know, as we move through all these phases together, uh, we've got to keep that communication going. So, uh, and again, I apologize. I have to leave early. It literally kind of just came up today. So um, I will uh, have to sign off and support the minister uh, at committee. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Francis. Thanks. Good luck with that. And thank you for being here. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.